Hi, good morning, everybody. You doing well? Good to see you. You're handsome and good looking, everybody. Uh, loving being out here in California. Someone has to suffer for the Lord and live out here. Isn't that right? Wow. I mean, our hotel is right across the street from the beach, and I've just been looking and amazed at, at the environment that you get to live in. Uh, but I have been very busy. Pastor Aaron and I talked about it. This is 16 days I've been uh, traveling. I've been to, back home twice in the interim, but this be 15 times to preach in seven hotels. So I'm sick of hotels. I'm ready for some mama cooking, I'm telling you. But we're just uh, really, really excited to be out here with you. Can't think of a place I'd rather be. Such hunger. I had the opportunity to be with your leaders, the Dream Team, on Friday night. How many of you were there? Any of you in the Dream Team? Okay, awesome. Yesterday, we had the model men meeting here. and they, Come on, any men, were you in the house? It, we had a fantastic time as men. And the Lord has given me a, a word, I believe, for you, and it's the word confidence. Everybody say confidence. You know, um, I've, been, I've been saved now, really serving God in the ministry for 50 years in May. I started preaching at 16 when I really got my life right with the Lord. And I made 66 uh, in May. You know, 66 is the new 40. Did you know that? <laughs> I see some grins on some faces around here. So anyway, uh, but confidence, confidence is so important as a Christian. And, you know, you go through battles, you go through storms, you get hit by stuff difficulties, and boy, the devil is just trying to shake your confidence in relationships and in finances and in the world itself. I mean, all the terrorism and every, I mean, just so much stuff is going on. We, we just wonder, do we have confidence in the future? Do we have confidence in our marriage? Do we have confidence in our job being there five years from now? And all, all of those things. So I'm, I'm going to read this verse, and I'm gonna, if you guys have it in the ESV, I'd like to read it. In Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm just reading verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. In other words, confidence is something that, and, and they've got it in the message translation. Let's read it in that. So don't throw it all away now. You were sure of yourselves then. It's still a sure thing, but you need to stick it out, staying with God's plans, so you'll be there for the promised completion. Now, let me read it again out of the ESV. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Confidence is something you have to retain. You have to hold on to it. Because if you're not careful, you can throw it all away. Uh, the enemy wants you to throw it away. But it says, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, he said, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Father, we thank you for your, for your word. We already feel, Lord, how your word strengthens us. And someone in this room, Lord, is in a crisis of confidence. And I ask you, Lord, today to leave them strengthened with might by your spirit in their inner man or inner woman. Bless us as we unfold your word and the principles of confidence. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I will mention to you that this message is also a blog this week. 
at LarryStockstill.com. It's a free blog. You can get it to your email box every Monday morning. I have a lot of, lot of people that get that. Please don't surf the internet and study it right now. If you thank you, but let me let me just let me give you an illustration of of don't throw it all away. A friend of mine is a runner. I'm a walker. I, I don't do running. I told the guys yesterday. If you see me running, you need to come help me. Somebody's chasing me. I, I don't do the running thing. But I, I was I was talking to Scott, and Scott said, I, you know, I've run a number of marathons and I train for them with another guy. And he said, when we got to the main marathon where we could qualify for the Boston Marathon, we knew we had to run eight-minute miles, he said, which is no problem for us. And we were just going to qualify for the first time for it. And But when we got in the race, somehow he and I kind of started racing against each other, and we pushed each other faster and faster. We got up to six-minute, 51-second miles, I think. You know, on your watch, it'll tell you what your pace is. And we knew we were going too fast, he said, but we were just, you know, we were kind of pushing each other because they were number six out of hundreds of runners. Well, when they got uh, over the bridge, they passed in Pensacola, they passed over the bridge, and... And on the other side of the bridge, mile 19, there was supposed to be a table full of water. There always is. But when they got there, the table was there, but it was empty. And he said they had really been pushing. He said it was so hot at times, they both agreed to stop and just stand in the shadow of a telephone pole. That's how hot it was and how badly they were sweating. And they thought that water or that Gatorade would be there, and it was not there. So they kept running. He said about two miles after that, he looked down, he had no shirt on, and he noticed his chest was covered in foam. And by the way, if you're a runner and you ever see that, it's not good. Because then it, it covered, his whole legs were covered. In fact, he saw his, all of his shoes were completely covered in this foam like the lather of a horse. When a horse gets overexerted and dehydrated to the point, a horse starts lathering. Well, so do humans. I, di I didn't know that. See, you'll never catch me doing a marathon. I'm just... <laughs> Men weren't meant to run 26 miles. I'm joking. But anyway, when he got to the table at, I believe it was mile 23, he was just at the point of exhaustion, but he refused to stop. And a nurse told him, you could die between here and the last three miles. You're so dehydrated. And he had to stop, get hooked up to an IV, and get some intravenous, intravenous fluids put in his body and watch everybody go running past him. And instead of sixth place, he ended up a hundredth place. Did not qualify for the Boston Marathon. He was so heartbroken. But what he did say, he said, I did cross the line. He said, I, I, I made it that other three miles and I was so disappointed. But he said, I finished. And I was so captured by that story. Something about the human spirit to push ourselves to accomplish, to do things that even our bodies tell us, what are you doing? And then I thought about the race that's set before us. Hebrews 12 says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And the key to that consistent racing for God, journeying for God is confidence. Now, what are the keys of confidence? What are the what are the elements of it that have to be balanced? You can feed your confidence. Today, if you've lost it in some way in your life, in your marriage, your, or your business, or one of those things, you've lost your confidence, I'm going to show you five things. Think of the fingers on your hand. 
that it says hold fast your confidence. So you got to grip confidence with all five fingers. Now, the first one, if you back up from chapter 10 to the beginning of that chapter, for those of you that are book people, you love reading scripture out of the, out of the word of God, then notice that there's a verse that speaks about the fact that in the Old Testament, and I'm reading now chapter 10 and verse 2, it says, For otherwise would they, the sacrifices not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have had any consciousness, consciousness of sin. This is so important. In the race of Christianity, you cannot carry the baggage of your past. When it says lay aside every weight, a weight is the remembrance of sin. And, and we as Christians have a way of kind of regurgitating our past. We, and the enemy is always telling us, hey, don't you remember that this is who you were? Don't you remember that's what you were? Well, not anymore. We have a new identity in Christ. In fact, the word confidence, parisia, is a word for citizenship in Greek, only citizens could speak in the Greek state. If you were a citizen, you could have a voice. But if you were not, you could not speak in public. So that word confidence came to be a person who knew who they were in the state. They, they knew they were a citizen. I, I feel this is so important because if your conscience begins to defile you or your conscience begins to accuse you, Paul said it either accuses or defends us. If you allow your conscience to become unclean, all of your confidence, the hand just opens and there goes confidence out the window. That, that's why he started with the conscience. And I want you to just ask yourself that question right now. How, how is my conscience? Do I lay in bed at night? Do I think, well, Lord, I'm so sorry I did that? Well, you've already told him that. When you were forgiven of that, he either forgave you or he didn't. He either forgave you 100% or none at all. Can you say amen? You're either born again or you're an old man in, in your old flesh. You, all of the things that Paul taught us, it says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. What new means it never been before. You're a new creation. So in our minds... To have confidence, we must not be Old Testament people. In the Old Testament, they offered a sacrifice. I just read you every day, every day, every day. Every time you willfully sinned, or, or you, excuse me, ignorantly sinned. There was no sacrifice for willful sin. But if you ignorantly sinned, you had to bring a bull or a goat, a lamb, something, and you saw it slaughtered in front of you. They estimate between two and three million uh, animals were sacrificed in the Jewish sacrificial system every year. And it was always the same, just more blood, more blood, more blood, more consciousness of sin. And, and Paul's point is that we, we cannot go back to that way of thinking. We're new covenant people. Can you say amen to that? You know, years ago I was hungry and I pulled into a McDonald's, got me a Big Mac, Pulled out again, unwrapped it carefully. You know, I had to eat on the road. I was so busy, and I and I and I got it. I thought I had it wrapped perfectly, but when I took that first bite of the Big Mac, a pickle that was in the bottom of it somehow found its way through the wrapping. It was baptized in mustard, by the way, and it landed on my pants. And I remember I had that hamburger in one hand, 
I'm chewing the bite. I've got my hand on the steering wheel, and I look down, and on dress pants was this green pickle baptized in yellow mustard. Now, what would you do? I mean, of course, we, we all, we, I didn't have a Tesla in those days of go on autopilot or whatever. So I had one hand, I set the hamburger down, and I kept one hand on the steering wheel. I got a napkin, I felt for it, and I just looked down for a moment, and I, and I, raked that pickle off my pants, tried to get a little of the mustard off. When I looked up, I had drifted over the line. And all I remember, he wasn't right on me, but I just remember this 18-wheeler was coming right at me. My car had drifted in his lane. Well, I jerked the wheel over, and by the grace of God, we didn't collide. And, and I swerved around a little bit, and then I just pulled off on the side of the road, caught my breath, and the Lord spoke to me. He picks the most unusual times to speak to me. He said, what's going on through the windshield is far more important than the pickle on your pants. <laughs> Would you agree with that? Raise your hand if you agree with that. And he said, you cannot look down in introspection of yourself. And you certainly can't look in the rearview mirror and drive looking in the past of your life. You, you are better off looking through the windshield because what's coming at you right now is more important than what happened in your past or what's going on inside of you right now. That's why conscience is so clean. It's so critical because guilt, shame, and inferiority come from a sin consciousness. I'm going to say that word again. Sin consciousness. You have no faith. You have no confidence. It just, it just, it's like a plug in a pool. It just, all, all of your confidence just flows out when you feel guilt, sin, shame, and inferiority. When we repent and ask God to save us, our past is, is completely erased. Like those old Etch-a-Sketch things, if you remember, you lift it up and it's gone. Now, maybe you do something wrong and, and you, you're ugly to someone, you're rude to someone. That can happen to all of us. Well, what do we need to do? We need to apologize. We need to, we need to go back and make that thing right. And then your conscience is restored again. Because the Holy Spirit will deal with you if you allow something about your life, your character to get out of line. He'll deal with you on the spot. He doesn't deal with you about all that back there. If you ever think the Holy Spirit is still dealing with you about something that happened, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the accuser. But he does deal with us if we have something that we do and we need to apologize. Sometimes I have to apologize to Melanie. Maybe I was too curt with her, short with her. I, I wasn't listening to her, and I apologize. I'm sorry, love. I, I, I haven't been sensitive to your needs. And then if we even need to confess something, maybe, maybe you're talking to someone and you find yourself exaggerating about what happened. And then you, the Holy Spirit comes back to you and says, you know, it didn't happen just like that, did it? That's, that, that wasn't 100% truth. And then you go back to say, hey, you know what? What I told you, I think I kind of blew that out of proportion a little bit. I ask you to forgive me for that. Well, see, these are normal things that are going to happen. Jesus said when he washed his disciples' feet, one of them said, hey, Lord, pour the whole thing over my head. And the Lord said, no, he that is washed does not need to take a shower again. He just needs to wash his feet if he got them dirty or his hands. And see, there's a difference. 
in a sin consciousness of your past and being conscious of sin that you have just committed and you need to apologize, you need to confess, you need to repent, you need to reconcile. Okay. How many of you understand the difference in that? But this sin consciousness thing is really destroying the confidence of people. So there's no shame. Everybody say no shame. Now, the second, the second finger that holds confidence tight so you don't lose it, you read in verse 19. And in the 19th verse, let me just, let me find it real quickly. In the 19th verse, he says these words. He says, for therefore, brothers, in other words, if you get the sin consciousness out and you get your conscience clean, that's, that's the foundation of everything. Then he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence by a clean conscience to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, I would just call this second point strong confidence. And it's confidence that I can enter the presence of God and make a request. Confidence is based on the fact that you believe you have the right to enter the presence of God. That's different from sin consciousness a little bit. If you don't get your conscience clean, you'll never enter the presence of God. But that doesn't mean you will enter the presence of God. I, I talk to Christians all the time who have no faith in their own prayer. They ask me to pray. Pastor, I need you to pray. And I don't. I never mind praying. I love to pray for people. But I, I see that they have faith in my faith, but not faith in their own faith. What about you? Do you have confidence that when you pray about something, God hears you? There's a verse for that, 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, if we ask it, he hears us. He hears us. And we know if he hears us, we have the petition we've asked. You say, what do you mean have? I, 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 I might get it or I might not. No, no, no. Confidence in prayer is asking God for something, believing he hears you and believing you have it in the spirit world. You say, spirit world, where's that? Is that it past Uranus or Pluto? Where is the spirit world? I want to tell you where it is. This was a revelation to me. It's right here. It's a dimension. I know heaven is a place, I'm sure. But heaven is a dimension. Heaven is inside me. The spirit world is inside me and you. It's all around us. So when I approach God, I'm not approaching him way off some distant planet, some distant place. I just simply say, God, I need this. It's a desire of my heart. I come in the name of Jesus, and I come based on the blood of Jesus Christ who ratified the new covenant, and I'm making a petition. I'm putting it at your feet, and I'm going to leave it there. I'm not going to worry about it because in the, in the spirit world, I receive the answer to that. That's prayer. That's confidence. You say, well, you haven't seen it yet. Well, there's a lot of things that you don't see. And yet you believe. When I flew out here, they told me the gate to get to Los Angeles was gate 18. I, I just got on the plane. I didn't go check the pilot's log to see where he was flying. I just got on the plane. 
In fact, I slept a lot of the ways. I studied the whole ways when they landed the plane. They said I was in Los Angeles. How did I know that? I really didn't know that. We, we, we act on the word of people all the time. So here, here's that verse again. This is the confidence we have that if we ask anything according to his will, that's his word and a promise in his will, he hears us. He hears you. And we know that if he hears us, we have the petition we've asked. I want to give you a little quick illustration. You know, I have a Ford F-150, and I know we got Chevy owners here, Dodge Ram owners. And I'll probably be contributing to that dialogue after this story. But my wife told me on the phone, I was out of town. She said, Larry, the check engine light came on. I said, that's probably no problem. You know, just some little spark plug wire or something. Well, I got home, brought it to my friend. He said, I'm sure that's nothing. But when he came out, he was, he was pretty sad looking. He said, Larry, you got a problem on your seventh piston. It's losing compression. You need to take it to the Ford dealer. And I did. And they came out and said, well, I'll be $4,100 to fix that piston. I said, you said your what hurts? $4,100. My truck is perfect. I mean, it, it, it's never given me a problem. I change the oil consistently. It's, he said, no, it's $4,100. You know, tell us when you want, to, want us to start. So I, 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 in a shock, I drove off, went to my friend's mechanic shop again, said, can you do it for cheaper? He said, well, let me delve into it more. He called me back a couple hours later. He said, brother Larry, I don't know how to tell you this. Your engine is completely ruined. Seven and eight cylinders are gone. It's gone, and we have to put in a new engine. I said, like, what are we talking about now? He said, well, at, at least six to 7000 for a used engine and 10000 for a new engine. So here I am minding my own business one morning. <laughs> How would you feel? I mean, $10,000, like, like, does it grow on trees? What, what do you mean? And, and I just said, you know what, now, Lord, I'm a tither. Where's that all fit into this deal? And I just relaxed about it. I just, I said, devil, you're, you're a liar. God's going to take care of this. And I, my buddy had the truck. I said, I'll call you. I'll let you know what I want to do. Well, Melanie said, you need to call our insurance company, which has to be Geico. This advertisement for Geico right now. <laughs> and I said, why do I need to call Geico? I didn't have a wreck. She said, I'm telling you, you should call them. The truck is like total. Do you need to call? Them? I said, that, that's not their responsibility. Well, man, listen to your wife, please. Because to get her off my back, I called Geico embarrassed. I said, yes, my engine is ruined and I need to talk. They said, well, let us bring you to mechanical breakdown. They looked up my account and lo and behold, unbeknownst to me, I had mechanical breakdown insurance, which I didn't even know what that was. She said, well, let me check. She said, oh, I'm so sorry. You have 103,000 miles, and it expired at 100,000. She said, but let me check something. I just sat there on the phone. She came back. She said, you know, we did not notify you that the insurance was expiring when you reached 100,000. So we're going to go ahead, and, and we're going to keep our commitment on that. You tell us where you want us to put the engine in, and we'll do it, and there'll be no charge. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But bless the Lord. And, and I mean, I, I know I was happy, but I dropped the phone. I had to say I took a little run and ran back, picked up the phone. They paid for a, an engine to be put in my truck. Almost $7,000. Come on, somebody. The Lord heard my prayer. 
And I'm, I'm just, that's a tiny illustration, but it was a big deal for me. And you need confidence. It built my confidence. When I have a need, I walk into that spiritual dimension. I have access. I talk to the Father about it, and I give it to Him. Some of you have that. We're going to pray at the end of this service if you've got one of those type of needs. But here's the third element. you got like fingers holding on to confidence. Okay, you need a clean conscience. And then, then, then you need a strong confidence in prayer. But the third thing that Paul mentions is in verse 23. Let us hold fast. And he tells us another thing to hold fast. The confession of our hope without wavering. The confession, we always think negatively of confession that it means you're confessing sin, which is important. I know that. That's a principle. But it's not just the negative part of confession, but there's also a positive part here. It says, let us hold fast to our confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Now, a lot of Christians don't understand the power of your mouth with your confidence. In fact, you're programming your confidence with your words. Death and life, Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. If you speak negatively, you're literally speaking death to yourself and to your confidence. Because your ears hear it and your spirit hears it. But when you speak life, you can speak life to yourself. David encouraged himself in the Lord. And I didn't realize that my tongue is literally the way I can inject confidence into my spirit. If you ever played on a ball team, which I did all my life, I played sports, we always had this little phrase. We said, we got this. Before we left the locker room, we got this. We got this. And it, and it just injected a confidence into all of us. We ran out on the field, and we, and we, we gave it our very best. Because the confidence in the, in the Spirit has to do with your confession. Imagine a courtroom. Revelation 12, 11 says the accuser accuses us before God day and night. He is in the court of the spiritual dimension that I just mentioned. He's there day and night accusing you before God. Read it, Revelation 12, 11, the accuser. But the good news is that we also, he's the prosecutor, but we also have a defense attorney, a counsel for the defense, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. This helped me to understand the power of confession. Because the enemy takes my negative confessions that are opposed to God's word and he brings them before God. You see, they just said this and we're justified by our words or condemned by our words. And he takes your very words that you spoke and he says, see, see God, he, he, he or she has said, they just said this. They don't really believe you. They, that, that's what they really believe. Like the 12 spies, you know, 10 of them said, we're not able to go into the promised land. But the other two said, oh, no, we're well able to take it. God is going to give us them uh, as bread in our mouth. Well, the accuser uses your negative confession to accuse you day and night before God. 
But when you change that and you speak what God's promise is, the advocate, Jesus, takes that word and says, Father, see, this is what they believe. You know, if you were accused of murdering six people and you hadn't done it and you had your defense lawyer sitting there by you, but suddenly in the courtroom you jumped up and said, I did it, I did it, I admit it, I confess it, I did it. Well, that'd be the end of the case. Your defense attorney shut his book. That's it. You just confessed to doing it regardless of whether you did it or not. It's over. You confessed it. And then the defense, the prosecutor said, that's it. We have a public confession. He did it. Look at that in your mind when you're speaking things. Don't just, you know, I was talking to a guy the other day and he, he, he came, he's a real estate agent. We're selling a home and he came along and, and I knew his brother. I said, how's he doing? He said, oh, he died. I said, oh, did it? This guy was a good Christian, too. He said, he died. I said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. He said, yeah, my other brother died. I said, oh, wow, I'm sorry to hear that, too. He said, I think I'm next. He said, I'm just preparing to die. He said, in fact, I'm buying this home for my wife because I know I'll die soon, and I want her to have a home. I said, no, brother. See, look at the, look at the, look at the fodder that he gave the accuser to just come and see, Lord, he, he says he's ready to die. So, boom, I'm just going to kill him. How many of you want to give the advocate some, some words to use today? Come on out of your mouth. Say, I can do, I can do all, things all things through Christ, through Christ who, strengthens me. who strengthens me. You feel a little confidence coming? Oh, little, oh. You see, all you did was just say what God said, and it says, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, because when it gets tough, when it gets hard, that's when you have to continue to say, the Lord is on my side. You know, I had a situation where I had to go in the hospital five years ago. I was playing golf. I took too much ibuprofen. I didn't know it triples in strength when you get dehydrated, and my kidneys just stopped working. The doctors didn't know what was wrong. But God just miraculously touched me through a verse from uh, Psalm 118 where, where David said, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. And that one verse, I must have said it 500 times in that 10 days. They were going to put me on dialysis, all this stuff. And I mean, the Lord intervened at the last moment. They figured out what was wrong. They fixed it. And, and I've been perfect for five years, but it got bad. It got so bad. They put the port in for dialysis, which they had to just come take it back out again. By God's grace, can I have an amen? But I just, I've seen whole fast your confession. Say, I got it if you got it. Now there's one, there's another one. See, we got clean conscience mentioned here. We got strong confidence in prayer. We got a confession that doesn't waver. But notice it. And then he says in verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together like we're doing right here. This is Sunday church or small groups. We're meeting together as is the habit of some. You know, the average person in churches in America goes to church one Sunday out of four. That ain't God, brothers and sisters. We need each other. Can you say amen? But encouraging one another, as you see the day drawing near, I always come back to the illustration of the geese. I know you've heard it a million times, but they fly 70% faster when they fly in a V formation. You've noticed that one leg of the V is longer than this leg. Do you know why that is? Because there's more geese on that side than on this side. Isn't that a profound statement? 
But my point is, you notice they honk when they go overhead. The reason they honk is because if a goose begins to look the least bit weak and tired and unmotivated, the goose behind him just honks at him to get him going again. So, you know, that bumper sticker says honk if you love Jesus, right? Turn to a neighbor and just give them a little honk. Say honk to somebody next to you. Did Honk. We need a honk every now and then. That's right. Do you know that, that small groups is God's, I believe, apparatus of encouragement and confidence? You know, they say that one Belgian horse can pull 8,000 pounds. One. That's four tons. 8,000 pounds. Two can pull how much? Do the math real quick. 16,000 pounds, right? No, actually, two can pull 24,000 pounds. They call that synergy. They don't understand it. One can pull 8,000, but two can pull 24,000. But they discovered a further thing. If they have relationship, they pull 32,000 pounds. The world record for Belgian horses who were raised together from birth, 52,000 pounds. One can pull 8,000, two pull in 52,000. That math doesn't add up. That's the power that Paul is talking about with confidence. When you get around somebody like you in Christ, something about you responds and, and, and it grows and it energizes. Iron sharpens iron. And, and you, you, I think of David and Jonathan. You know, David was so weak and lost his confidence hiding in caves from Saul. But when Jonathan went out to see him, his covenant partner, it says he was encouraged. He was encouraged. You know, the word core in French, heart. Encouraged to take heart. I may have mentioned to you, a friend of mine in Kentucky said that a lady had cancer in his church. She was in a women's small group. She wept and was so depressed when she went on her first chemotherapy treatment. They said, you're going to lose all your hair. But to her surprise, the door opened and four ladies walked in from her small group. They all had wigs on. And she asked them, what are y'all doing? What, why do you have wigs on? They pulled them off. They had shaved their heads. They said, we're going to wear a wig with you till your hair grows back for you. That's a honk, brother. That's an encouragement. And that's what we need. If you want to hold confidence, you've got to have, and this would go in the blank, strong companions. Don't throw away your strong companions, your relationships. But let's come to the last one, and I'm going to balance it because, you know, you got these four fingers. They can do pretty good, but the little finger is where the grip is. That's where the balance is. And let me give you the balance in the end of chapter 10. And the balance is this. He says, and we know all those things. We know we have a clean conscience. Our past is forgiven. We know we have access to the Father in prayer. We have faith to pray. We know that we have a good confession that we can maintain. We keep speaking the promises of God. We know that we have strong companions because we have meeting times, Sunday church, during the week, midweek, uh, small groups. Don't forsake that, he said. But then he said, and by the way, don't cast away your confidence. What, what, what would he mean by that? What, what would make us cast away our confidence? If we ever get overconfident and we don't realize we have an enemy, 
You realize you have an enemy. The devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That means he can't devour everybody. If you're watchful and be sober and vigilant, because Hebrews 12:1, just two chapters later, says, Therefore, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. There may be a sin in your life from your past. You're forgiven of it. It's not on your record. But you know the propensity is there. You had that in your past. And you're not going to just hang out with people that are doing that thing because that can come back up in your old flesh. Even though we know our sin is gone, our flesh is not. We, it's crucified, but the problem with the living sacrifice, it keeps crawling off the altar. Have you figured that out? So we don't tempt the Lord and step over into areas because we're so confident in who we are. Hey, I know I could never displease the Lord. I know I could never sin again. I could never do that. Not a good idea. So overconfidence is the, is the thing that we must be most careful of. Don't throw away your holy covenant. The Bible says in the fear of God is strong confidence. Not fear, fearing God, reverence for God. We don't fear God anymore. He doesn't want us to fear Him, but He wants us to reverence Him, to live holy lives, clean lives, pure lives. If a sin happens in our life, and, and you know what? I can't say I've, I've entered into sinless perfection. Have you? I mean, I, when I get behind the wheel, if there's someone in the left lane, and they won't get over. I'm a left lane person. It's for the fast people. And they get up next to another car. They realize I'm frustrated. I've flashed my lights. I've blowed my horn. I'm, I'm trying to be spirit-filled as much as possible. But they, they get by that other car because they know it's aggravating me. And then finally they move over into that right lane just spiting me. And I go by. I'm just telling you, brother, I just want to give them a little five-fold ministry is what I want to do. But I look over, and it's the chairman of my board of deacons in that church. And I wave at him instead and say, hallelujah, brother. But you know, in my heart of hearts, I struggle with it. How many of you struggle a little bit with that left lane problem? Well, see, we love the Lord. We're on fire for God. I preach the gospel. I have a great family. I love God. I know I'm a citizen of heaven. I know I have a clean conscience. I know I can pray with faith. But every now and then we do something that that old flesh nature will try to come back and, and try to do something. But I'm not overconfident. I don't, I, I have filters on my internet because I, I don't want pop-ups to come up with playboy pictures. I, I, don't, I don't want that. I don't need that. And so I have filters that stop anything like that. And if I can't get one that stops it, I'm throwing it in the California Gulf right outside here. Because I know the enemy I deal with and my confidence is based upon my consistency. Now those five things, you can hold fast to your confidence. I'd like to just say if you close your eyes just a moment. I'm, I'm finished preaching. But I feel like maybe there's someone here that when I go back to that first point, remember the first point? Hold fast to your clean conscience. And that's the problem. You don't ever remember the time where you surrendered your life to Christ. 
I was like that for years, sitting up in church, had never surrendered my life to Christ. But it, you can change that. This morning, the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from all sin, 100% spotless, blameless, clean, even innocent before God. If that's you and you're sitting here and you say, Pastor, as you're talking to me. I need forgiveness. I've never really put my sins under the blood of Jesus Christ. I need that righteousness. I'm going to look around or those that are outside in the cafe or wherever you are. If you would say to me, include me in that prayer, would you? Here's what I want you to do. Without any hesitation, I want you to just slip up your hand. Say, include me in that prayer right now. Just hold it up high. That's right. See your hand there, there. Back there, over here, over here. That's right. Just hold it up high. God bless you. Five or six people that are saying, I see another lady right here. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Now let's all pray this prayer out loud. It'll do you good. Let's say this to the Lord. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. He took my sin. He paid my debt. On the cross, I ask you, Father, let Jesus' blood cover my heart, cover my past, cover my sin. And I receive today the free gift of righteousness. Come into my heart, Lord. Change me now. Give me new life and write my name in the book of life. Cleanse my conscience from all guilt. Thank you, Lord. Now, I'd like to ask you to all lift up holy hands. You know, the Bible says that men should lift up holy hands without wrath, without doubting. No doubt, I got a clean conscience. See, if you've struggled with a clean conscience, go ahead and lift your hands up. That's a surrender, and that's a statement. Lord, I know I'm forgiven. Lord, I know I'm righteous in your eyes. What a blessing that is. You could go ahead and just ask him for anything you need. You could step into that second thing and just say, Lord, I need this, and I'm bringing it before you today, and I know you hear me right now. And I, this is the confidence I have that not only do you hear me, but I have it in the spirit world, just like Amazon. I ordered it. I know it's coming. I know it's on its way. Lord, I just thank you for prayer right now. Thank you for the power. People praying for their marriage to be healed. People praying for a child to come back home. People praying for a job. And I thank you today there's a confidence in their heart, in their faith. And then, Lord, change their confession after this prayer that they can say, thank you, Lord, I know it's on the way. Thank you, Lord, I know it's on the way. I thank you, Lord, every person here has got fellowship in a group and they've got people encouraging them. And then, Lord, those that are even struggling with a new temptation that they're trying to battle. Give them a strong confidence and don't let them throw it away. Let them walk in the confidence all the way till they walk through the gates of glory. We praise you for it today in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord praise.